0: Hello, welcome to the Radiate Podcast. We're here to connect, encourage, Mm -hmm. and empower you to radiate the message of Jesus to yourself, your neighbors, and the world. I'm your host, Steve Presswood. Today I'm on the phone with my Radiate Podcast guest, Jen Kelsey. Jen, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Steve. I'm glad to be here.
0: Jen is currently on staff with the Navigators. She and her husband, John also affectionately known as Kells, have served in ministry together for a number of years in different ministries and ministry contexts. They currently lead the NAV City Work in Oklahoma City. Jen, give our podcast listeners a little more information about you and your family, if you would.
1: Thank you, Steve. Well, and my husband, John, Kelsey, and I have been married for, oh, you know, decades. It's probably 20 and we have one son who is about to be a senior in high school Josiah Max, he's delightful I live next door to my parents um, my dad has leukemia and I'm helping care for him and we love to make disciples and to train teams of people to do the same
0: tell me about a favorite memory of your early days with Kells, doesn't have to be When you were dating, it could be shortly after you got married. Just pick one.
1: I have a favorite memory. I have many favorite memories. When we were in college, we were engaged, and Kelsa's roommate was engaged to my roommate. And so they had a lot of fun planning double dates and fun events for us. And one weekend they invited us to pack a bag and just basically show up in the parking lot with an overnight bed, and they whisked us away to a, a little flight from Oklahoma City to Dallas. My roommate had not flown before, and so that was a treat for her, and they had all these fun things planned to do in Dallas for the whole weekend, and a place to stay, and we, we went to the, uh, the grassy knoll and took pictures where JFK was shot, you know, that sounds like a really romantic thing to do. We, we went to a concert. It, it was hysterical fun. And then when we when we got down to Dallas, there was, their car was there. They had driven it down the day before the date so that we would have transportation the whole weekend. So, and, and they still are like this. We're still really close friends. They live in Kansas City now. And we get together and do crazy things like this. Well, we get together a lot, but we do something like that Mm -hmm. about once a
0: year. How much fun. Well, let's transition now to a few topics on which I'd like to hear your thoughts. First, name a few of the most challenging circumstances or situations you faced in your lifetime.
1: Well, I remember thinking when I was in college that I was really grateful that I had such a really easy life. I looked around at the people I met on campus and people I met on mission trips, and I thought, wow, they've experienced a lot of hard stuff, and I've only had blessings. And then right after we were married, I had a, a really terrible car accident where I had a spinal cord injury, and then I really didn't heal after that. I, I now have lupus, and so there have been several periods over the last 25 years where my pain was so terrible and the frustration with not um, having a diagnosis and not having proper medications or, or therapies that would help when the when I was severely depressed. There have been some times like that. I think one of my lowest points was you know, when you're in a lot of pain and you can't sleep for weeks and weeks, you start to really go insane. And I, I was at a point one day where I, I thought, you know, even Jesus only suffered a few hours. And I know that's <laughs> blasphemy, complete blasphemy when I'm in my right mind. I was just wanting to die. That's, that's where those thoughts were going. But God has been gracious and, and put a lot of, lot of wise people in my life who notice when I'm starting to dip into that I've had some wonderful counseling even more in, in addition to the counseling I've had people just grab me by the shoulders and say hey you're not thinking truth right now and I'm, I want to help you think truth and, and those men and women have, have been my lifeline back to the Lord and back to sanity and uh, today I'm in a pretty good place, but my life is very much organized by my health in that I have to to daily take some exercise, just like I have to take medicine. I have to take exercise in order to get good sleep. I have to spend some time quietly with the Lord, meditating on His Word. I have to take some deep breaths. I can't overschedule my um, calendar, like I would like to, <laughs> or like I used to. And, and it, for a long time, I felt like that was very selfish. Like, you know, I'm supposed to be taking care of others. I'm called to serve. Jesus wouldn't spend half the day exercising and, and breathing deeply. I've finally come to realize that, that that's what it takes for me to continue making disciples. And so if that's what I'm called to, then I have to do what it takes. In college, I remember when I first sensed that God was calling me to to be in ministry full-time. I remember praying to Him and saying, I am willing to do the hardest things I can imagine for you, Jesus. And in my mind, that was live in a mud hut in Africa, kill chickens for breakfast, hunt my food. You know, <laughs> I, it was the hardest thing I could imagine.
0: It's a really big stuff.
1: Really big, important <laughs> things. And so some, on some of my hard days now, the Lord reminds me of that. And he says, this isn't what you imagined, but it is a, a really hard thing. Yes, you live in a country where you mm. speak the same language and you live in a comfortable home and you have great medical care but some days it's it's really hard to get up and, and do the next thing. And, and I can say, okay.
0: Do yeah. Boy, you give a lot here to explore. You already said some about what you felt like at the front end of this. Would you just spend a little time uh, saying some more about how you felt on the front end of learning of your condition and then having to experience what was there, uh, You know, I'm sure some of the feelings, like you described, were uh, despondent in nature. Uh, Maybe just to explore with me a little further some of what was going on in your mind and heart.
1: I think in the beginning, there was this insistence that if I just found the right doctor who could take care, who could understand what was happening, then they could help me get better. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm only 22 years old. This has to stop this has to go away, and just this real intensity and urgency that mm. I'm going to figure it out, whoever that doctor is, we're going to go wherever it is. Then it began to really settle in as I talked to so many doctors that um, this might not ever go away, and that this might be a radical change in the trajectory of every, everything that I'd planned for mm. my life. So there was real death of a dream, there was grieving, there was guilt that all the plans my husband had for his life were also going to have to be altered now. We were um, praying about going overseas um, as missionaries, and um, with health problems like this, there are very few countries where you can, where you can go and, and be treated the way I need to be treated. And so there was there was a lot of sadness. It was really difficult for me. Well,
0: wow. what would you say, Jean, got you through these tough situations and all the feelings that go with it, with your faith intact?
1: For a long time, maybe maybe seven or eight years, I was asking God in almost every quiet time, why is this happening? Just help, just show me. What it is I need to learn so I can get over this? I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to, to put this behind me. Like, th- if this is a big character builder, okay, I'm up for it. Teach me. And the Lord was really silent on the why. And then the thing that um, helped me stay engaged was reading Job. I've always been a, a big picture person, and I'm not in any way saying that I'm a modern day Job <laughs> because I think his situation was so much more dramatic um, mm. 10 times what I'm experiencing but I, the thing that God showed me in Job was that sometimes the reason doesn't have anything to do with me or my conduct my behavior it's that there's something spiritual happening in the world that I cannot see now, and one day I will see it, and it might not be till heaven. And so, when I was um, when I was praying through that, I just felt the Lord ask me if this if this was about me bringing glory to God instead of becoming selfish and internal with my pain. Would I be willing to do that? Could I walk? hard road and still bring glory to him. And of course, I want to say yes to that. And then as I said, okay, I don't know if I can say yes, but I want to want to say yes. (laughs) Just praying the, the, the prayer that I could pray today. There were days where all I could do was say, I want to want to say yes. He softened my heart and started to open my eyes to see that Maybe I had some career path over here, and he said, I want you to share with nurses and doctors, because you're going to spend a lot of time sitting in waiting rooms, and you're going to spend a lot of time getting to know caregivers over your life. How can you be a light to them as a patient? And so he just started showing me people and relationships that I wasn't sidelined and taken out of ministry because of my illness. I was just put in a new context that I hadn't thought about and that I wasn't prepared for. But it didn't make me any less a believer. It didn't make me any less uh, a light shower. It just changed the group of people that I had planned to work with.
0: The uh, admonition that Paul gives after praying for who knows how long, to have that thorn in the flesh, Uh, we're not sure of what that is, of course, to be removed, his admonition uh, that comes from God, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. I'm sure that must be one that is factored into how you think.
1: Yes. I think that now, this wasn't early on, but now I see that there are things, about God that I never could have understood had I not been slowed down by this storm. I'm so extroverted. I want to be out with the people all the time. And if God had not used this to help me slow down my body, I would have never learned to study his word deeply, to meditate, to pray. And I'm not good at those things now but I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't slowed down on the people and and, um, just practices of Sabbath and silence and solitude. Mm. And then I see that in in Paul's life. Um, Certainly, we don't know what his thorn was, but he was slowed down by all the imprisonment that he experienced. Maybe he would have never written anything if he hadn't had the time to sit in prison with nothing to do. And now we get to benefit. Aren't we so glad that he Mm -hmm. wrote all those letters? Quite.
0: I'm curious if you could, uh, you know, really narrow in to what you feel like are the biggest things that you learned about yourself and about God. You've given a couple already, but uh, are there some really huge lessons that you feel like came out of, uh, you just having to walk through these really difficult struggles. What did you learn about yourself and God as a result?
1: Yeah, these are big. These are, the, these are harder for me to to talk about or even to think about. Mm. I, I've learned that I really long for comfort, that um, when you're in pain, you'll pay a very high price to get out of it. I've learned that God is so gracious. I've learned to let go of false guilt, and the kind of guilt that says, well, you're the oldest. You've always got to be a good example. (laughs) And and to change that to, I'm a reflection of Jesus, so I want to be a good example. Mm. Because he is so perfect. His standard is so much higher than mine. I have learned that I'm not perfect. I actually grew up in one of those homes where I was treated like I I was a brilliant genius. I believed that for a long time. (laughs) And so I've been humbled. I've just come to appreciate other people's contributions. What
0: do you perceive to be a few of the biggest challenges facing young women of faith today?
1: Oh, I love to talk about this one. I see a lot of young women who have been deeply invested in spiritually in high school and in college. I see really two major chasms where women can fall in and and basically fall out of, of discipleship and disciple making. And I think the first one is right after college. I ask this question of many young women who've just graduated and started their careers. And I I ask, so have you invested in anyone yourself? And a lot of them say, yes, I tried that once and it was terrible. Mm. And then I ask, what's happening now? And they just shrug and they say, I don't know what to do next. So to those women, I say, every time You start something new, the first go-around is terrible because you don't know what you're doing. And so I like to try to help women, encourage women to get back in there and try again. And then for those women who do um, make disciples after college and into early marriage, the next big chasm that I think they can fall off into is after children come, I think it's maybe more so in the South, but in American Christianity, among women, there's this certain, this magnolia home idea that our homes always have to be beautiful and the table has to be laid and we have to have fresh cupcakes on the on the island at all times or else you don't invite people into your home. And that really works against disciplement. So in order to make disciples as a young mom, you have to be willing to say, come on over, we're going to be washing dirty diapers. <laughs> come on over, we're going to be folding clothes, we're going to be baking, we're going to be cleaning toilets. Or you're just doing the things that a young mom has to do. For many of us, it's very difficult to set aside the, the, the ideal that we see in culture and and exchange it for disciple-making. Because if we have to have this ideal home picture all the time, we'll only invite people into our home a couple times a year. And so I'm really passionate about helping women figure out how to be real once they become moms and how to stay engaged in making disciples and encouraging one another.
0: That's great. Well, you've given a little bit of advice. Is there any additional advice that you would give that would help young women of faith anchor themselves and to help them thrive despite the challenges that are in front of them? Any additional information, additional uh, advice?
1: I heard someone say um, once that if you imagine disciple making as a boat and you've got two oars and someone's helping you on one side and you're helping someone on the other side, that when it gets hard, Try to keep at least one oar in the water. <laughs> and I think that that's it. Just keep a paddle down, whether that be with an older woman that you're, you're spending regular time with or a younger woman that you're investing in, because that will give you the momentum to just continue. Sure, it's going to look different when you have children. It can't look the way it did when you were single and hanging out in coffee shops to make disciples. That's okay. We don't see the coffee shop model in in the New Testament either. (laughs) Neither one of those are right or wrong. You just have to get used to embracing contextual change. I think that's the biggest piece that's different for women. I think with men, you know, you pick a career, you head out there in it, and you're doing it for 40 or 50 years. And with women, there's a constant flux of of change happening in your home, in your environment. Now you've got kids in high school. Now you've got, you're an empty nester. Now you've got grandkids. There's always this flux, but if you'll keep one oar in the water, you can keep moving forward, encouraging others and being encouraged yourself.
0: Well, a little bit of a transition again now, Jen. A lot of fun to hear those thoughts. Um, you and John are providing leadership for the Navigators Ministries in the Oklahoma City area. What is the vision that propels you in that work?
1: We do have a vision. <laughs> First of all, we love this city of Oklahoma City. We love the people of Oklahoma. We are native Oklahomans. Our families have lived here for several generations we see that specifically in our city, we, we see the lost and we see the broken. We, we see those living on the margins and, and a, we have a prayer and a, and a strong vision to find gatekeeper people within families, within communities who don't look like you and I look, Steve. We want those who have not had access to disciple making training, to have access. And so for us, that means helping connect those who've come out of wonderful ministries like the Oklahoma State Navigator Ministry. Help connect your graduates who are working and living in Oklahoma City to those who are marginalized, who maybe didn't have an opportunity to go to college or who are single moms who are laboring um, to take care of their families. We want to connect people with teenagers who, who need a dad figure in their lives so that the gospel can thrive, not just in the wealthy, educated parts of Oklahoma City, but in all the parts of Oklahoma City, because Jesus died for all of us. Mm-hmm.
0: Beautiful. Well, Jen, I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast today. It's really been good to hear your thoughts and to spend time with you. Thank you so much.
1: Appreciate you, Steve.
0: Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Radiate. You can continue to listen wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect to us online at osunavs.org and on Instagram at osunavs. See you next time. And until then, keep radiating the message of Jesus.